about a hundred years ago when I was in college. You know, it seems like that now, long time ago. There were these two ladies, I'll say now, they were college students at the time. They rented a duplex. And one night, they told me this story. I was obviously not there, but they told me this story. That they rented, that they uh, accidentally left the uh, sliding glass door uh, unlocked. And a guy got in there. He walked into their, where they were. He came and the girls had been awakened, but they didn't do anything. They just laid there as quietly as they could. He came and he sat on the, the bed with one of them. And he said that they, one of them told me, he started to kind of smooth out the sheets, you know, just kind of like this. And he kept smoothing out the sheets and smoothing out the sheets. And finally, he touched one of the girls on the leg. And she jumped up and she said, who do you think you are? Don't you know this house belongs to Jesus? And the guy jumped up and he ran out. And these two girls in their pajamas started chasing him down the street. I didn't know what the police would do. I was wondering if Ted was here. He could tell me, what would the police do if they caught two girls in pajamas chasing some pervert down the street? I don't know. But here's the situation. You see, when somebody is in a place, and maybe you think they shouldn't be in that place, you need to know two things about them. One of those things is, who are they? You see, if you know who they are, you might be able to determine whether they're supposed to be there. And the second question you need to, uh, to ask them, if you, that doesn't determine it, is what are you here for? What are you here for? Because if you can answer those two questions, those two questions which say, you are, I know who you are, and I know what you're here for, then you have legitimized the fact that you're in a place, wherever that place may be. I can tell you, you've legitimized it, if that is a legitimate reason for you being there. So I want to ask you the question today. Who are you? Who are you? And can you tell me beyond your own professional relationships, your own uh, uh, profession that you have yourself, can you tell me who you are in Christ? Can you tell me, not why you're here in church today, but can you tell me, What is your purpose? When I was in the 70s, I remember people saying, God has a wonderful plan for your life, but nobody ever told me what the wonderful plan was. And everybody thought, I guess was, is that someday, you know, you go and you get married and you have, you know, children and all of that kind of stuff happens to you. And that's the wonderful plan that God has for you. And you know, you realize that God's got more than that plan. Not that that's bad, but he's got more than that plan. And what I realize is a lot of people, even though they call themselves Christians, are, are running around with a, there's an emptiness in their life because they don't know really what they're here for. Maybe they don't even know who they are. So I, I want to answer that with this first two verses that we find in First Peter. First Peter chapter 1 verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
Now, if you've got a copy of the notes, I want you to start underlining a couple of words. These are not going to be on the screen, so you're going to have to just listen to me in this. I want you to uh, underline the word apostle there, Peter and apostle. I want you to underline the word elect. And then the word exiles. And then the word dispersion. Underline those words. Apostle, elect, exiles, dispersion. I want to talk to you about and underline these words. The foreknowledge of God the Father. And then sanctification of the Spirit. And then obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling with his blood. Now, do you realize right here we have the Trinity? Have you ever seen in a place in the Bible, you know, it says, you know, the Trinity is never mentioned in the Bible. You ever heard that? Well, it's mentioned right here. It doesn't, not the word Trinity is there, but certainly that is, uh, is mentioned right here. So let's find out who you are. Let me say the first thing to you. You are a gift to the church. Understand, you are a gift to the church. You personally are a gift to the church. Now, I'm not talking about your spiritual gifts. I'm talking about your purpose that God has for you in Jesus Christ. Peter calls himself an apostle. And what I'm about to tell you right now is not going to be told in a lot of Baptist churches because we are afraid of that word apostle like you cannot believe. So let me state something very clearly before I state what else I'm going to say to you. The calling of being an apostle by Peter is beyond any calling that we have today. Understand that. It is beyond any calling that we have today. Jesus Christ himself picked out Peter. There was not, there was not a, a, uh, uh, an idea that, you know, there's you're going to be walking, you're going to be mending your nets or whatever you're doing and Jesus is going to walk, walk by and, and pick you out like that. It'd be a lot nicer, wouldn't it? It'd be a lot easier if that was what happens, but that's not what, is, that's not what happened uh, with us. But, but God has endowed upon him the special calling of being led by the Holy Spirit to write scripture. That is not going to happen to you. You are not going to write scripture. We have all the scripture that we need. We have all the scripture that that there is ever going to be. That time has passed. But does that mean that the, the gift of being an apostle by practice also expired? I don't believe so. Now that's the weird part on me. You see in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, in, when this scripture has been read right here, this scripture in Ephesians has been read, most of the time what they're talking about, well, that's the leaders in the church. That's the, generally the, that's the paid people that we have in our church. And that's what, what has been said over and over again. Well, there's some problems with that. One is that this does not fit within this chapter in, in Ephesians. In other words, it doesn't, st- it doesn't stop at one point and say, and now we want to talk to you about the leaders. It doesn't say that anywhere in here. And there's no indication that there was any kind of shift to leadership. So let's look at those things that are there. Apostle comes from the Greek word apostello, which means I send. That is what the word actually means. And if I accept that this reference is only for the original apostles, then I have to ignore all of the people that are mentioned in the New Testament who are not part of the 12 apostles that were uh, from Jesus' band of uh, disciples, which with the addition of the one that was uh, replaced Judas. That, uh, and, and I have to ignore them because, and the Bible clearly calls some of these other people apostles. 
and they seem to be apostles. And if I relegate that scripture to that, then I, it doesn't apply to anybody today. In fact, if I'm not going to apply apostle to you, then should I apply prophet and evangelist and pastor teachers? I don't think you can do it that way. Therefore, there must be people who are still sent to spread the gospel through the planning of churches. That is absolutely true. And these people will be called apostles. Not in the same sense as Peter was an apostle, but in the same sense that Peter had a function of being an apostle. Prophets also do not refer only to the Old Testament prophets. Prophets are not people who necessarily predict the future, but they hear from God and they speak God's word to bring revival to the church. We need prophets, folks. See, we need there be prophets in our churches. Evangelists are called to bring the gospel to people who have not heard it. Now understand this, I've heard this said before, you know, that I don't have the gift of evangelism. There is no spiritual gift of evangelism mentioned in the Bible. Hear that from me. There is no spiritual gift of evangelism. Nobody has the gift of evangelism. But there are people that are evangelists. But the evangelist, this person that used their spiritual gifts to bring people to Christ. They, they're not the paid people. They're not the people that come into the, to the church. We, we have a revival. We bring the evangelist in and we call him the, the only evangelist that is out there. They're not the only ones. But these people are the ones that have a thrill when they seek new believers. They, they bring people into the church. In fact, evangelists are people magnets is what they are. They're people magnets. They're, they gather people around them and they get people, I mean, sometimes they're pastors, sometimes they're not pastors, sometimes they're Sunday school teachers, sometimes they're just people in the church and they, 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 can, they can get more done with so many people gathering around them and they can also not just get it done, but they can, they can see people that will come to know Christ. Now, shepherd teacher is actually one person. I cannot break the rules of Greek interpretation because the way that that is put together in that sentence, that is one person. They are shepherd teachers. Shepherd teachers does not need to be the senior pastor of the church. Does not have to be, does not need to be the senior pastor of the church. A person that is a shepherd teacher teaches to reach the individual so that he is changed into the likeness of Christ. You see, too many teachers in the church think that they're out there to give information. That's not what the job of teaching in the church is all about. They're not about education. The shepherd teacher nurtures through teaching. This is what happens here. Now, there is an online tool called APES that can help you discover which purpose is yours. They have a free version. I recommend you get a hold of it. You want to get online? There's got a free version. It gives you a little bit of information. It'll tell you which one of those you are. And there's a paid version. It gives you a whole lot of information. I'll tell you that. I only disagree with one part of this, and I'll have to say this up front. I cannot separate shepherd and teachers. I cannot separate. I can't break the rules of uh, Greek interpretation. So Peter was called an apostle. He had a calling. You've got a calling too. You've got a calling, and you need to find out what that calling is. You have been chosen by God. You have been chosen by God. The English Standard Version, which I just read, says that the recipients of letters uh, of this letter are the elect. Now, that reflects the Greek better, but not the real meaning of this passage better. The Greek word is a compound of out of called or called out of. You're a called out one. 
See, you have been chosen is a better word I would have put in there. You've been chosen to become a follower. And this is not, this word is not a passive word. You see, it's, it's not like you were just chosen and you just sat there and you waited to be chosen. It's not like being chosen on a, on a team. And when you were a kid, you know how it was like to be chosen on a team. You remember when they divide up, you'd say, you know, here'll be the two captains here. And then you choose your teams and we choose your teams and we'd get down and you didn't want to be chosen last. Because usually, what did they say when they were chosen last? Something along the lines that they say, uh, you take Butterfingers and we'll take the slow guy. You know what I'm talking about? This is the way that it worked, wasn't it? That's the way we did the, the, that's not the way that it was. See, let me explain this to you. God took the initiative to choose you. He moved the whole world around to bring you to Jesus Christ. He brought people into your life and things that happened in your life and he brought you into places and and, and experiences and he did all of that because he knew that what it would take to bring you to himself. It was because you have different personalities and you're different people. It takes different things in order to bring you to himself. And God knows exactly what it will take. How does God know what it will take? Well, God foreknows everything about you. He foreknows everything about you. It says, according to his foreknowledge, he worked to bring you to Christ. Now think about that. You were recruited. Do you understand that? You weren't simply the guy that got chosen because you were the last person to be chosen. I got to take one of these people. We got to have equal numbers on each team. That's not the way it was. You were recruited by God to come to him. And how did he know what it was going to take? Well, it says in, in Psalm 139, 18, your eyes saw my unformed sub, uh, substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Before you were ever even a thought, you were in God's mind already. And God knew every one of your days. It is from this knowledge that he sought you. He planned the events that would take to bring you to him. He chose you because he knew that these things would bring you to him. And there are are those who will resist the spirit. I understand that. There are some who will never come to him. But that's not God's plan. God's plan is to move the world, if that's what it takes, in order for you personally to come to know Jesus. Now, you know that we're going to go into the Christmas season for for long. I don't want to jump over Thanksgiving. I'm not trying to do that. But I was thinking of of Ralphie, you know, and the, you know, the 24 hours a day, we're going to have the Christmas story on sometime. You know what I'm talking about. I've watched that movie so many times. I think I know the lines to that movie. I wonder if you know the lines to that movie like I know the lines to that movie. Because Ralphie wants a Red Ryder BB gun with a compass in the stock, right? And he wants it so badly that what does he do? He goes and tells his mom. He says, Mom, I want a Red Ryder BB gun with a compass and a stock. And his mother tells him what? You know the story. You've been 24 hours a day, you'll know the story. And so he doesn't, you know, she, that's what she says to him. So he writes an essay. An essay for his, his, uh, you know, his teacher, what he wants most for Christmas. And he writes that he wants a Red Ryder BB gun with a compass in the stock. And his teacher writes on his report what? 
you know, shoot your eye out, okay? And then when he doesn't, he says, I've got to get, you know, there's got to be a way that I'm going to get this thing. So he goes to see Santa Claus. You know, he's got to be Santa Claus. I've got to be okay with it, right? And Santa Claus says to him, yeah, you'll shoot your eye out. I mean, can you imagine how that had to be? You know, here's, my, here's the crazy thing about it. Is that if Ralphie can work things around so that he could get something, don't you think God could work things around so he would get something that he wanted? And you know what God really wants? He wants you. He wants you. And he's working to bring you closer and closer to him. And then the scripture says, you are a foreigner to this world. Now again, the English Standard Version translates that word exiles. I believe it's translated better as foreigners or aliens. Believers are foreigners in this world. This world is not our home. Understand that. And it cannot have a hold on you. That's the danger that we have when we live in this world because we think that everything that happens in this world is the only thing that's important. Because believers are in this world, but not of this world. Jesus himself would say this. In John 17, verse 14, and he, say, he says, I have given them your word. He's praying to God. He says, I have given you, them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. When you go to another country, if you're, if you're an American, you go to another country, you are in that country, but you're not of that country, are you? The fact is, is you've got to keep the rules. You've got to keep the rules of that country. If you, if you go over to England, and you know, and you rent a car, we drive on the right side of the road, and the British drive on the wrong side of the road, Right? <laughs> you got to get over on the wrong side. And you got to drive the car on the wrong side of the road. You're going to drive the car on the wrong side of the road, you're going to run into somebody pretty, pretty much. So you must obey the rules as long as they don't violate who you are. Understand what I'm saying to you? You must, you must obey the rules as long as they don't violate who you are. Paul will tell the Roman church that they are to be in submission to the authorities in Romans chapter 13 verse 1. However, how is it that Paul ends up in prison so many times? By disobeying the authorities. And why, what's the reason behind that? Well, because he had a higher authority than the Roman authorities. We have a higher authority than on this world that we live in. When I was in Mongolia several years ago on a mission trip, I was taken to a, a village, and the, the Mongolians are very nomadic people, and what they do is, is they, they, in the summertime, they spread out and take their herds all over, and then in the wintertime, they bring them all together, and they make a village. So a village can be have 2,000 people in it, or 35,000 people in it. Do you understand? Because when they come in the wintertime, that's what they're doing. So this was the wintertime, and I'm, I'm going to Mongolia, and they said, there is not a Christian witness in this entire village, not one at all. In fact, I would go from, I would talk to people and I would say, have you ever heard the name of Jesus? And over and over and over again, I heard, no, I've never heard the name of Jesus, not even the name of Jesus. And so what happened was, is that they dropped us off. I said to the missionary there, I said, what are we supposed to do? And he said, I don't know. I've never been to this village. 
I said, well, he said, what, what do you suggest? He said, I don't know. He said, but I tell you what, what you can't do is you can't go door to door because that's illegal. And so he dropped us off and said, I'll be back in five days to pick you up. And uh, what we want you to do is see if there's some interest so that we can start a church in this village. And so we got out and the guy that was with me, I had, a, I had an interpreter, but I had, uh, I had a guy that was with me, had never been on a mission trip before. And he said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to go door to door. And he said, he said, but what if we get arrested? I said, we will just get arrested then. If that's what happens, that's what's going to happen. I said, because I'm not sitting around here five days trying to figure out what, I can, what I'm supposed to do when I, when I already know what I can do. I'm going to do what I can do. And so we went door to door. Now, what was the reason behind that? The reason is, is because while I was in Mongolia, I was not of Mongolia. I was listening to a higher authority than what they could bring about in this world whatsoever. We've got to live our lives like that. And we, or you, have been placed among people who need you. Realize this. That word foreigner is a compound word. It means alongside, uh, upon, uh, heathen is actually what it means. That you're you're alongside these heathens. You see, you're living amongst people who do not know the Lord. You're living alongside. These, the, the, that's where we get the word uh, diaspora or the, the word dispersion that is, is mentioned there. It means that we were been, we've been taken and scattered like seed. You understand being scattered like seed? And where that seed falls, that's where that seed is supposed to grow. That seed is supposed to have an impact where it is planted. So the readers of this book and you have been planted to live among those who do not know the Lord. Maybe some of them do know the Lord. And this may come to you and you may say, well, but I didn't really want to live where I'm living. What difference does that have to do with it? You've been placed in a place that has a purpose behind it. And that purpose is is that you are to be God's representative in that place where you are. And I want you to hear this from me, folks. I'm not talking about you have to be the evangelist and the, the, the Bible thumper that goes up and down your street and whacks people over the head because of their sins or any of that kind of stuff. That's not what we've been called to do. About three years ago, I put my notes two years ago, and then I realized it's been three years ago. About three years, I was concerned about what a hypocrite I was with my faith. There are two great commandments in the Bible. You know what they are? Love God with all your heart and soul and mind. And what's the other one? Love your neighbor as yourself. And while I realize that that word neighbor means a little bit broader than simply the neighbors that are in my neighborhood, you realize that if I'm not loving the people in my neighborhood, I'm also not loving the people outside of that neighborhood as well. And not a whole lot of love there because, you see, I had lived there for 12 years already. And there were some of the neighbors that I had never met. I knew their names. I could wave at them. I knew about some things like that. But that's as far as I could go. I didn't know what to do. So what did I do again? I did what I could do, what I knew how to do. And so I made pies. I started making pies. And I went to each one of them. You know, and I, I think that, I think a lot of people say, well, you did that so that you could witness. No, I didn't. 
I'm trying to fulfill that second commandment there. I'm trying to love people. That's all it is to it, folks. I'm just trying to love them. I want you to know it was awkward. It's really awkward when you go, I've lived here 12 years and I've never met you. And think about that conversation for a moment. You know, that's not good. Not a lot of love in me as, as far as that goes. Now, I will tell you that not all of them have warmed up to me, but yet, and I think I'm a great guy. I don't understand that. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is, is that I'm working on loving my neighbors. And the reason I need to love my neighbors is one of them is I was planted right there. I am planted in my neighborhood. And my job, my purpose is to love those neighbors. Am I concerned about my neighbor's salvation? Well, I don't know if, uh, uh, I know some of them are saved. I've had some conversations with them. I don't know about a lot of them. I don't, I'll be honest with you. But that's not the point. The point is that I just need to love them. When I put salvation at the top of the list, I will become like what I have done so many times in the past where I went and I knocked on people's doors and hoped they weren't home. You know, and I said, and when I got them, I said, you know what? I said, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus, whether you like it or not. And I don't care if it, I love you one little bit because I'm really, my goal is to get out of your house as fast as I can. You can pray this prayer with me and I'll get out faster or don't pray this prayer and I'm going to stay around and I'm going to argue with you for a while. And that's what I was doing before. Let's be honest with you. And what I've, I've been so convicted of is that I just flat need to love people. How about that? Isn't that crazy? Just love them. Love them not because I believe in any other system of of getting saved. I I don't believe in another system. I believe there's the only way is through Jesus Christ. I got that and I understand that completely. But my real deal is about loving them because this is where I have been planted. And when I try to make them like a sales statistic, you know what I'm talking about? You knock on the door, you come back, they say the prayer with you and you run back to the church and, and you say, they, I had somebody pray to receive Jesus tonight. Everybody jumps up and down, carries you around the room and you, and you go, wow, wow. But they never come to church. Not ever. That's not what we need. What we really need is people loving on people. Because people don't want to be a sales statistic. How about just loving them? Then let me say, you are a work of God. You are a work of God. (laughs) In fact, God's still working on you. God's still working on me. God the Father has foreknown you. He moves the world to save you. Uh, Another movie I like is in the Poseidon Adventure. You remember that movie? It's a movie where they're, they're in, a, in a cruise ship and the ship comes across a tsunami and the tsunami is such a wave that it flips the, the ship upside down. It capsizes. And there's a preacher in that, in that story. And the preacher says, come with me and we're going to go to the bottom of the ship. We're going to go up. Sure, there's people that don't go along with him. I understand that. that. But you see, what God is telling us is, is that I can take you to the place where you really need to be. I can take you to the place where there's fulfillment. I can take you, not, not to the point where you're going to say, well, I'm, I'm saved all over again. No, you're not going to get that. But what has happened is, is that you're going to walk with God through his purpose. And he is going to change you into something that you would never have even dreamed that you could be at one time in your life. You're going to have a joy that you cannot imagine that you'd have because you're walking along with him. And then in that process, God the Spirit sanctifies you. We are made holy so that we will be obedient to him. 
I think that the crux of the story so many times for somebody that just has salvation is, is that they believe that salvation is all there is. Now I just wait around till I die. And they see obedience as something that they can either choose to do or they, you know, and they could just, whichever they want to do. But the truth is, is that the Holy Spirit is either working within you to be obedient or he isn't. He is either there inside of you and he's working on you to be obedient or he isn't. And if he is not calling you to obedience, there's evi- uh, there is ample evidence that you are not truly his. You have to understand there's someone inside of you changing you. I had a friend who I know really, really well. I know this guy really well. And he put on his resume that golf was one of his hobbies. I know personally he's played golf one time in his life. One time. In fact, is if you got him up on the tee and you said to him, uh, are you going to use a driver? He'd say, no, I think I'll walk. Because he doesn't know anything about golf. Just telling you that. This is who he is. Now, I've got another friend who would rather play golf than eat or sleep. He lives and he breathes golf. You know what the difference is? One guy says, I want to like it. And the other guy, it's inside of him. Do you understand the difference that is there? It inhabits him. He loves to play. See, let me explain how it works. The Spirit loves the Father and the Son. Absolutely true, true. And the Spirit identifies us as children of God. True, absolutely true. But then the Spirit moves us to obedience. You know why? Because what did Jesus say? If you love me, you would keep my commandments. That's obedience, folks. And if you're not obedient... You're really not in the love business and the Holy Spirit then must not be working on you. For God the Son sacrificed himself for you. It says that that we are sprinkled with his blood. And for us that probably seems like a pretty gross thing but it comes really, you see it in Exodus chapter 24 verse 7. And it's talking about Moses and it says, then, then he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they, they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. You see what they said there? We will be obedient. And so, and Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, I understand completely this one thing first before I get that. Jesus' blood cleansed us from all our sins. Understand that. I got that. I understand this. But it also is, the, is a contract. It is an agreement. And in this agreement, what happens is, is that just like any contract that is out there, if you don't sign it, what happens? If you don't sign it, it's not valid. And the being sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ is the signature on the contract. And when we get to that spot where he said, Peter has told us, this is who you are. And this is what you are doing here. Then he says these words, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Of course, we would do the same. If I found somebody in the building that I didn't know that they were supposed to be here, I would probably ask them, who are you? 
and what are you doing here? And when I found out that what they were here for, I would say, well, I hope you have a good day. I would say the same thing. So who are you? Who are you? You are a chosen child of God that God has worked to bring him to himself. And he still is. He's still working on you. And what are you doing here? Well, you've been planted among people who need you to be a part of God's plan to bring them to himself. You've been called upon to be obedient. You've been called upon to love these people and love them in such a way that you could say, you know what, with these two commandments, all the rest of it hangs. I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And I love my neighbors as myself. It is who you are and what you are here for. And you will never be fulfilled to do what you simply want to do by the fleshly world. Because you're not of this world. You simply are in this world. And you will be fulfilled And when you accept your calling of what you are intended to do, it's an offer that you cannot refuse. It's an offer of grace.